0: Hey, listeners of This is a Disaster, Peter here, all by myself to do a little bit of promo for our Patreon. So as you might have heard, we do these micro disasters that come out every two weeks exclusively for our patrons. And I thought it might be kind of interesting to share one of those with you because maybe you're not sure if you want to be a patron and you're not sure if it's worth it. So here is one of the micro disasters that I did recently, and you can judge for yourself. If you want to sign up for our Patreon, go to www.patreon.com slash Pod, and you'll get bonus content like this. You'll get access to our live streams when we do our major disaster recordings. You get some behind the scenes stuff. You get discounts on merch when it comes out. And every now and then we release larger chunks of bonus content that is made up of stuff that didn't quite fit into the main episode. And what you do for us is to help us create more great content. So if you want to do that, like I said, patreon.com slash this is a disaster pod. This is A Disaster, a podcast about disasters and the music they make us listen to. I'm Peter, and I'm here by myself to bring you a Patreon-exclusive micro-disaster. So I recently took some flack from my co-hosts about the fact that I start a lot of my contextual background for disasters around the Second World War. So in light of that criticism, I'm going to talk about the Second World War. On February 1st, 1851, the Brandtauker sank to the bottom of the Kiel Harbor in northern Germany. Brandtaucher was the first ever submarine developed with funding from German army personnel and civilians. It was meant to help the Germans break the Danish blockade during the German-Danish War from 1848 to 1851. After a successful demonstration of the prototype, the underfunded construction of the full-scale submarine began. Turns out submarines are right up there with spaceships and nuclear reactors as projects where maybe you shouldn't pinch pennies. The final product strayed significantly from the prototype in a few key ways. Perhaps the most notable was by removing the dedicated ballast tanks to be filled with water when submerging. So when a submarine dives, it does so by filling tanks with water. That was the design for the Brandtauker, but... Corners were cut, and instead, water was allowed to enter the main chamber, where the people and controls were, instead of dedicated ballast tanks. Long story short, instead of breaking the blockade, the Brandtauker became an anchor without a boat at the bottom of the Kiel Harbor, until it was retrieved 30 years later and placed on display at the Naval Academy. Germany's hopes of circumventing ships on the surface didn't sink with the Brandtauker, though. The first German submarine that only sank when it was supposed to was built in 1903 and sold to the Russians for use during the Russo-Japanese War, which we mentioned if you remember in the Tunguska explosion episode number 26. The first of the dreaded Untersee or U-boat class of German submarine, the SMU-1 was commissioned by the Imperial German Navy in 1906. And this began a long chapter of German, if not dominance of the seas, then dread at their hand. In design, U-boats were much like modern submarines in their use of ballast tanks for controlling diving and surfacing. And they also had a characteristic shape, which you might be familiar with if you're familiar with U-boats. They had a bow that resembled many surface-faring ships. And this is in contrast to the silhouette of many modern submarines, which look more like cigars. U-boats were used primarily to disrupt the war economies of Germany's foes during both world wars. For example, a pair of U-boat attacks on civilian liners is famously responsible for turning the United States' attitude from one of isolationism to supporting involvement in the First World War. So first of all, there was the RMS Lusitania, which was sunk on May 7th, 1915. It was a passenger liner whose sinking by a German U-boat killed nearly 1200 people, 128 of which were American civilians. Also, it was carrying munitions for the war effort, but this detail was left out of the public reporting of the incident by the Americans and the British possibly because Woodrow Wilson, the 28th President of the United States at the time, needed help in swinging public opinion in favor of going to war after years of his own non-intervention policy. It would take almost another year to convince the American population that joining the war effort was necessary, though, and this was helped along on March 24th, 1916, when the SS Sussex was torpedoed by a U-boat during its passage across the English Channel. It resulted in the death of up to 100 of the civilian passengers, and none of those killed were any of the Americans on board, but it further helped public sentiment against the Germans and pro-entering the war, which the U.S. officially did on April 6, 1917. Throughout World War I, German U-boats sank almost 30 military ships and nearly 6,000 merchant ships, resulting in the loss of over 11 million tons of cargo and 15,000 sailors. Following the terror these U-boats instilled during the First World War, heavy restrictions were placed on the German Navy and their construction of U-boats, in particular following their defeat. Restrictions that were almost instantly violated under the guise of either quote-unquote research or other totally not building an underwater army reasons. After the eruption of hostilities of the Second World War in 1939, U-boats resumed their campaign of terror, focusing again mostly on shipping across the Atlantic. Initially, they were extremely effective at devastating convoys of supplies headed to Europe. And this prompted an arms race of detection and counter detection. So British ASDIC, A-S-D-I-C, and the American equivalent called Sonar allowed for long range detection of U-boats underwater. But these weren't effective as detecting ships at the surface. So a common countermeasure for these sound-based detection techniques was for U-boats to hide on the surface when weather conditions allowed them to be visually obscured in choppy water. To counter this, aircraft-mounted radar was developed by the Allied forces to detect U-boats and other ships when on the surface of the water. So now the places where U-boats can hide were getting more and more limited. Many other technological developments sprouted from the German U-boat program, including acoustic torpedoes, which are much like heat-seeking missiles used in aerial combat. So they'd cut through the water towards a target and then within 400 meters would lock onto the loudest sound, usually the engine of a ship escorting merchant convoys. The Allies eventually countered this by bringing along noise-making decoys to divert the acoustic torpedoes. also, on more than one occasion, the torpedo would fail to find a noise louder than the U-boat itself, leading to a few instances of German submarine commanders shooting themselves in the foot. Clearly, the U-boat program was a breeding ground for innovation, but the innovation didn't stop at weapons or stealth. U-boats and submarines in generals are tight operations, and they rely on being efficient, sleek, and light. It was common practice for submarines during World War II to store the sewage generated by their crew in septic tanks to be emptied whenever they surfaced. U-boats were always able to flush their toilets directly into the sea, but they needed to be relatively close to the surface where pressures weren't as intense. But being near the surface, especially towards the end of the war with fairly sophisticated sonar and radar ready to spot you, was essentially suicide. So, through the powers of German engineering, U-boats, towards the end of the war, were equipped with facilities that could be flushed while submerged in deep water. The mechanism allowing for sewage to be flushed in deep water was complex, involving a series of tubes and airlocks that would ultimately jettison the waste into the ocean. Just as complex was the procedure for flushing one of these toilets. So complex that each U-boat had a technician specially trained in the operation of these deep-sea toilets on board. During the maiden patrol of U-1206 in April of 1945, the captain, Karl Adolf Schlitt, needed to poop. Turns out everyone does it, even Nazis. Being the captain, Schlitt was confident in his ability to figure out the toilet himself. After finishing his business and folding up his copy of Nazi Vogue, probably, Schlitt pulled up his tailored Hugo Boss trousers and turned what he thought was the flush valve. It was a valve but it wasn't the first valve in the series of valves to use when flushing these deep sea high pressure toilets. Rather than zipping away his Nazi poop, the toilet began to overflow. And I say overflow, but at their current depth of 60 meters or 200 feet, it was more of an unstoppable torrent. The engineer Schlitt grabbed from the hallway to help didn't know much better than himself. Before long, the water pouring in from the toilet filled the commode and spilled out into the hallway. And once it was in the hallway, it went down onto the battery banks directly below the bathroom. In turn, the batteries reacted with the salt water and began to fill the U-boat with chlorine gas. I'm not gonna go too much into the detail on chlorine gas, but suffice to say, you don't wanna breathe it. Luckily for Schlitt, he had just gone to the bathroom, otherwise he'd be doing it into his pants right now. He ordered the ballast tanks to be emptied and torpedoes to be fired in a desperate attempt to make the U-boat as light as possible as they rocketed towards the surface. Finally, U-1206 broke the surface. At this point in the war, the Allies were real sick of U-Boat's shit and had gotten pretty good at taking them out. So virtually the instant U-1206 surfaced, the coughing and air gasping of her crew was interrupted by relentless bombing from Allied planes that had spotted her. Suffering heavy damage, Schlitt decided to scuttle the ship and have the crew escape on rubber life rafts. Three crew members died as they attempted to climb the Scottish coast and the rest were eventually captured by Allied forces. By this time, the terror of the U-boat had been all but conquered by the Allies. By the end of the war, nearly 800 U-boats were sunk, along with nearly 30,000 submariners, and this constituted the highest casualty rate of all the German forces during the Second World War. So next time you're cursing your luck, plunging a clogged toilet, realize that things could probably be a whole lot worse. Or, put another way, what's the worst thing that's ever happened as a consequence of you flushing a toilet? if you like that, like I said at the beginning, just head over to patreon.com slash this disaster pod to get more great bonus content just like that. See you in the next disaster.